Morning, church. Welcome to worship. I'm going to ask you to stand with us. Welcome to those online. Join us in worshiping the Lord. Let's sing with joy to the one who is our light, who has saved us from our sins and called us to his kingdom. Sing with me. Arise, my soul. Remember this. He took my sin. And he buried it no longer I who live now Jesus lives in me for I was dead in sin but I woke up to see the light
All of this for the glory of his name. We praise you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We welcome you as you welcome us into your presence. We are reminded, we are reminded that we are your people and that we are your family, that you have reconciled us to yourself, oh God, through the blood of your son. And it is through him that we come to you this morning with joy in awe of you. Romans 5 verses 8 to 11 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also boast in God. We boast in God. We glory in him through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. We boast in you, Jesus. Your church boasts in you. You are worthy of our praise. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I ever felt comes like a flood, comes flowing down. Surrender my life, I'm in all of you, I'm in all of you, where your love ran red, my sin was white. Oh, oh. 
Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for humbling yourself, giving yourself away. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Here I am to worship, here I am to 
don't know about you, but if there's something that ministers my heart, that produces joy in my heart, is when I hear the church sings. Do you know why? Because if I'm a sinful human being, and I'm being edified by the singing of the saints, that means you, can you imagine what our worship does to the heart of God? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you give us the blessing, Lord, to praise you with our words. Lord, what a privilege, what a gift it is to use our voices to exalt your name, to recognize how powerful, how amazing, how beautiful, and how lovely you are. Here we are to worship, which is said. Here we are to worship, we just declared. Here we are to worship because who will not worship when we get this picture of this amazing, beautiful, omniscient, omnipotent, everlasting God? Who wouldn't worship you, Lord? Lord, Lord, please forgive us when we are so quick to worship other things. And we forget that the best thing that we can do for you and for our hearts is to worship you. It is because that's a reality today, Lord. I pray that as we open up a scripture, you lead us to worship. You reveal yourself to us and reveal our heart to us in such a way that we find Jesus beautiful and amazing and perfect to the point, Lord, that we must worship. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to be here today. Please be with us. Please be with our brothers and sisters that are struggling and come to church weeping. Please, Lord, be with us in the midst of our pain and struggle. Lord, please help us remember that in the midst of our pain and everything we go through, our safest place is to be with you. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. How about if we give glory to God for that time of worship? All right, so before, um, before the sermon, I just want to share a couple of things with you. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this already, but um, for the last few weeks, we have seen more and more younger crowd serving the church in, a, in our tech de department in specific. Um, this is what I wanted you to know. One-third of our tech department, sound, lights, and everything else, are high schoolers. Well, that's a big thing, yeah. Part of the reason why I want to share that with you is because we truly believe that we are a multi-generational church, amen? And as a multi-generational church, we are called to serve in all areas. Everyone is called to serve in all areas. 
Now, the second thing that I want to share with you really, really quick is, I don't know if you are familiar with our ministry, uh, Grief Share, which is a ministry that we have in the church to help people navigate their struggles in life. And this week, someone shared with me the testimony of this lady. Her name is Bethany, uh, which she has tried all kinds of, she tried all different kinds of things prior to coming to, w, to WBC. And the Lord has used this ministry to give her a completely different perspective in life a gospel-centered perspective in life. Now, why do I share this with you? Because this is one of the reasons why we worship the Lord through giving. So we can continue to do the things that we do, so we can continue to serve people the way we serve. So we are grateful if you are part of the church already and you're sustaining the church financially. But if you're not one of them, I want to invite you to join the ride what the Lord is already doing in this church. You can always support this church financially by going to our website, wheatonbible.org slash give, or if not, you could, uh, and when you go there, you could try to um, set it in a way that, that uh, it's a recurring offering. And if you kind of, the, you could say all school giver, by the end of every service, you will find boxes by the entrances. You can leave your millions there before you leave. <laughs> yes, ma'am? All right. So let me say again, good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church. And um, I want to welcome you all that are worshiping here in person. Welcome all of you that are worshiping online. Uh, It is always such a blessing when we come together as believers. For the last few weeks, we have been doing this series called uh, Loved and Filter, in which we're looking at this section of the scripture um, that is very popular, very well known, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That talks about love, but not just regular love or romantic love, but the love that ought to be displayed and put into practice within the Christian community. That's the kind of love that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about. What is interesting, though, about that letter is that it's Paul, the human author uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this letter to a group of people that I would say are very similar to us. Let me give you the description. Ton of people with the spiritual gifts. Amen. Ton of people that are talented, that have the best talents in the world. Amen. Successful people. People that have faith that could move a mountain. Uh, people that would help the poor and the one in need. People of strong biblical convictions. What is interesting, though, is that Paul says, Even though you have all of that, if you don't know how to love one another, you are nothing. You gain nothing. That's a crazy statement. He elevates all these people, and then he says, listen, you don't know how to love, therefore, I don't know what you're boasting about. Now, I don't think that we have that problem, hopefully. But I do know that we need to grow in our understanding and the practice of loving one another. Amen? Amen. That, you, that's not convincing. Amen? Amen? For that then, we're going to continue talking about this section, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the whole section, the, the heart of the section, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to be talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the first part of verse 10. Eight. If you're still here, can you please say, I'm here. I'm here. Starting in verse 4. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's read that last sentence together. Love never fails. Holy Spirit, please speak to us this morning. We are trusting that your presence is here, and we are trusting your ministry, that you illuminate our minds, convince, convince our hearts, affect our wills by showing us how amazing and beautiful Jesus is. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And churches, Amen. you may take a seat. So today, we're going to be focusing on these two sentences. Love does not dishonor others, and love is not self-seeking. Love does not dishonor others, and love is not self-seeking. And part of the reason why we're putting these two words together, these concepts together, is because they are inseparable. See, the person that is a self-seeker is a person that will dishonor others. And the person that dishonors others is because he is a self-seeker. I'll say it again, and you could tweet it. The person that is a self-seeker is a person that will dishonor others. And we dishonor others when we are self-seekers. So these are my three points for today. We're going to talk about the illusion of self-seeking, the problem with self-seeking, and the salvation for the self-seeker. The illusion, the problem, the salvation. Let's go with the first point, the illusion of the self-seekers. Um, uh, we, we have to, for self-seeking, we have to start by understanding what Paul means by a self-seeker. See, here at church, we use the NIV translation of the Bible, and I consider that to be a really good translation of the Bible, at least for, for the church when we gather. Um, but I don't think that our translation of the Bible for self-seeker, it actually helps us to understand what, that, what Paul means by that. Once again, I'm, I'm not a scholar, and I'm not putting down NIV. It's just that I don't think that self-seeking truly explain what Paul had in mind. See, the, the word in the original has the idea of someone that desires something. But not just a regular desire, but a desire that is inordinate. It's a desire that is out of place. It's a desire that, if you're not careful with that, it could lead you to sacrifice other people for your sake. Why do I say that? Because the root of the word in the original, means to debate or to argue or to be controversial. So what Paul has in mind here is he's saying that when a person is a self-seeker, is a person that will do anything and everything to satisfy his own desires or her own desires at the expense of someone else. A self-seeker will sacrifice anybody to satisfy his own desires. This is the reason why some other translations of the Bible puts it this way. Love does not insist in its own way. 
Love is not self-serving. Love does not seek its own interest. Love never seeks its own advantage. Love, that, lo, love does not demand its own way. It is not selfish. That's why I think that those translations are better for that word. It tells you that love is the opposite of self-seeking. It tells you that genuine Christian love is the opposite of self-seeking. Christian love is self-sacrifice, not other sacrifice. Amen? Depressing. <laughs> Christian love is being willing to die to oneself instead of insisting on its own way. Amen? Amen. Christian love seeks to serve others instead, instead of self-serving. Amen? Christian love is willing to disadvantage oneself instead of seeking its own advantage. Amen? Amen. Christian love is not selfish. It is selfless. Amen? Amen. Christian love is puts others first. Amen? Amen? Christian love seeks happiness by making other people happy. Amen? Amen. Christian love is doing what is best for the other person. Amen? Amen? How many of you guys do that? Why did you even say Amen. So this is family, right? Thank you, brother. <laughs> One brother. How many, of you, how many of us? See, the thing with family is that you don't have to pretend anything. That's the beauty of a family. So how many of you guys struggle with self-seeking? All right, so half of the congregation and the other half wait until the end of the sermon. I want you to see that Paul makes it extremely clear that it's simply impossible to be a loving person if self-seeking continues to hold your heart. If you allowed self-seeking to control your heart. And I, spend, I want to spend a few minutes talking about something that I mentioned last week, and today I'm going to spend a little bit more time, but this is part of the reason why I have such a hard time accepting and understanding the secular concept of, this, of self-esteem. That's not a Christian concept, you know? It's not a biblical concept. It's, it's a secular concept. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but back in the days, there were some places called bookstores. You guys remember that? And if you remember those places, you might remember that the most popular and biggest section in those bookstores were always the self-help sections. That's a fact. This is part of the reason why for the last 20 to 30 years, motivational speakers became so popular. It's a ton of people that makes you feel good. This is part of the reasons why preachers are not popular. This is part of the reason why the new progressive Christians are becoming life coaches. It is because for, for about 50 to 60 years, the concept of self-esteem became super popular. This, all these people knew that the secret to success was in telling people that the more they think about themselves, 
they move, the more they put themselves as the center of the universe, the more they expect more, more people to adjust to them, the more happy they're going to be. So these are some of the phrases that the experts use to talk about self-esteem. This is how you're supposed to boost your self-esteem. Love yourself, Justin Bieber. Be your best self now. You are capable. That was brave. You got this. I believe in you. You can do hard things. You are unstoppable. Give it your best. You are enough. Repeat after me, they say, I can do it. I can. Don't repeat that. <laughs> now, is there anything wrong with those phrases? Depends. Depends on the heart that is listening to those words. See, if I'm called to love myself at the expense of somebody else, there's something wrong with that. See, if I'm being the best, if I'm being called to be my best self now, and if that means that I should sacrifice others to become my best self now, then there's something wrong with that. See, if I believe that I got this, and that means that I don't need God and I don't need anybody else, then there's a problem with that. See, if I believe that I could do hard things because of the intrinsic power that I have within me, then we have a problem with that. If you tell me that I'm enough, and if that means that I'm self-sufficient, then there's a problem with that. If you call me to repeat to myself, I can do it, and, it doesn't, and it, that doesn't mean that I have to recognize that I'm still weak, I'm still a sinner, then there is a problem with that. Did you know that there's a verse that tells you how dangerous it is to use words like that? This is Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You know what the word flattering there means? To speak smoothly, like a motivational speaker, and to speak falsehood. There's something extremely dangerous to say smooth things to people, inspiring things, and that at the same time, they're false things that creates a false sense of identity. That is the ruin of, that is the ruin of the people. And this is what we have been hearing for the last 50, 60 years as a nation. Don't you think that that's the reason why our society it struggles the way it struggles. It is the self-seeking society. People that insist on its own way. Self-serving people. People that seek their own interests. People that seek their own advantage. People that demand their own way. Selfish people. This is the problem with that mentality. That it promises happiness and success and it cannot deliver. That's why we still struggle. That's why we still fears, anxiety, depression. This is the reason why nothing is ever enough. This is the reason why we are where we are. Self-seeking is an illusion. It cannot give you what it promises. 
actually listen to what this um, Christian counselor and psychiatrist says, Glenn Harrison. Uh, he wrote a book called The Ego Trip. This is what he says. First, uh, this is talking about the effect of self-esteem mentality. He says, first, surveys show that over the past three decades, people have been more ready to endorse statements of self-importance, entitlement, and other traits of narcissism. Second, it is likely that the self-esteem movement has contributed significantly to the rise of narcissism and narcissistic personality disorders. Thirdly and finally, the self-esteem movement may be associated with a rise in unhappiness and discontentment among young adults. This book was written two years ago. That is the effect of a society that believes in boosting your self-esteem. We have created a society of self-importance, entitlement, narcissism, unhappiness, and discontentment. This is what Paul Tripp calls the dissatisfying claustrophobia of individualism. I mean, that, that's a cool phrase. Dissatisfying claustrophobia of individualism. And this is what he says. Individualism is not freedom. It is bondage. Living for yourself is not liberty. It is self-imposed prison. Doing what you want to do when you want to do it and how you want to do it has never been the good life. It never leads to anything good. Tim Keller, my best friend, he doesn't know me, but we're best friends. He says that the self-seeker life is empty, painful, busy, and fragile. It is empty because it doesn't matter how much you try, you could never feel the empty, the emptiness in your heart because only God could do that. It is painful because it doesn't matter how much you try, it still hurts. And the ego gets hurt because there's something wrong with the ego. It is busy because he's always looking for attention. It never rests. It is always competitive. And it's fragile because he does not know how to confront pain and disappointment. How many of you guys have ever seen the show American Idol? You want to see the effect of self-esteem? Look at that show. And you got a bunch of people, many of them super talented, and many of them not talented at all. <laughs> and he happened to be one of these young persons that probably his mom and his dad told him, you know how to sing amazingly. Probably the, his relatives told him, you got such an angelic voice. Probably the friends told them, you're going to be the next Ricky Martin. <laughs> Probably people told them, you are amazing, but then he gets to American Idol. And Simon says, you're awful. <laughs> Look at how they react. Because their ego is fragile. Can you see? Why as a society we have been struggling with this? 
Self-seeking is not only not loving, but it's also an illusion. It does not deliver what he promises. Now, you've got to keep in mind that when Paul is writing this thing to this church, and when he's talking about this kind of love, or what, not, what love is not, he's talking to a community of believers. And this is where the first word comes into the picture, the word dishonoring. With this, I go to the second point, the problem with self-seeking. See, we have all kinds of definitions for dishonoring, but I love the way this scholar puts it. He says, dishonor is to behave disgracefully, the thoughtless pursuit of the immediate wishes of the self, regardless of the conventions and courtesies of the interpersonal life. This scholar is saying the same thing that Paul is saying. That the self-seeker by nature would always end up dishonoring other people. Because at the end of the day, you don't care about other people. You only care about yourself. According to Paul. So let me say something that I said last week, if you were here. Self-seeking and pride are very similar. Because pride and self-seeking, at the end of the day, they are antisocial. It destroys community. It is impossible. Can you say impossible? It is impossible for someone to love somebody else if self-seeking is still a struggle. All right. I'm about to say something that is going to offend a lot of you, even if you're worshiping at home. And it doesn't really matter because I already got voted in. <laughs> that is so wrong. That is so wrong. That's self-seeking. <laughs> how, do I, how do I come back from that? This is the problem with modern-day Christianity. That we have created a consumeristic mentality. And that not only affects our community, but affects the church. Because we expect the church to accommodate or adjust to my likes, my desires, and my wishes. And if that is not there, there's got to be a better church. Don't you think that there's something wrong with that? Did you know that that's not the case in other parts of the world? Did you know that most than 90% of the Christians in the world don't view the church like that? Tell me if the self-esteem, self-seeking thing has not affected the church in North America. Do you know why we have done that? Well, because we see ourselves as the end of love and not the means of love. Part of the reason why we have created this consumeristic Christianity is because we see ourselves as the end of love and not as the means of love. Listen to what this scholar says again. Today is the date of quotes. Look at here. 
ourselves can be either a means or an end. If we make ourselves the end, the ultimate goal, the final aim of our striving, we are in conflict with agapic love, which is the term in Greek that is used in the original. Love does not seek itself as the living end. Instead, love is the power that drives us to seek ourselves as a means to being agents of love. But whenever the self is the ultimate, we tend to see other people as instruments for our own growth. Let me translate that for you. It means that if you're a self-seeker, you use other people for your own interest. I use other people for my own interest. You know how awful it would be that in our relationships, the only reason why people come close to us is not because they love us, or they care for us and because they want to get to know us, but because they want something from us? You know how awful that would be? You know how awful it will, it will be for a marriage that someone goes to the spouse, a husband goes to the wife and says, I don't really care about you. I don't care about loving you or serving you or dying for you. All I care is how you cook. Wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't that be awful that you go to your friends, I don't care about you. All I care is that when I'm in need, you're there for me. Wouldn't that be awful? What the self-seeker has a hard time loving because we'll use people. I don't know if you're familiar with Rosaria Butterfield. We saw an amazing, she's got an amazing conversion story. She was a, a woman that struggled her entire life with her gender, gender identity for her entire life. Super smart woman. She actually believed that education had the power to change the world because education had the power to change the hearts. She struggled with a ton of things all her life. But in her testimony, he shares how is it that she came to the saving knowledge of Jesus and how that changed her life. And it all, be, and it all began with a pastor and his wife inviting her to have dinner for a whole year every evening. And what she says is that what made a difference is that this couple were not, they didn't have a hidden agenda. They didn't see her as a problem that needed to be fixed. They didn't see her as a project, but they embraced her as a human being. And the Lord used this couple as a means of love. And he touched her and changed her completely. Because that's love. Because the opposite of love is self-seeking. And the opposite of self-seeking is love. Our problem is that we see ourselves as the end and not as the means. This is the reason why Paul is writing this letter to these people. Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find this sentence. He says, uh, some people will say, I follow Paul, and some other people say, I follow Apollos. Remember, this is talented, spiritual gifts people, everything perfect. And the reason why Paul is saying this is because they were using Paul and Apollos, not because they loved them, but because they wanted to use their reputation and their status. Oh, I know Paul. Oh, I know Apollos. They didn't care about them. They care about what they can get out of them. Not only did you struggle with this, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it tells us that they were not willing to sacrifice anything for the sake of their brothers and sisters. 
He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your right does not, rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Let me give you context here. The Corinthian church had right theology. They believed in the freedom they had in Jesus Christ. But they were using that freedom wrong. They did things that not everyone understood. And instead of caring for their brothers and sisters and walk along with their brothers and sisters, they would say something like, I don't care. If you don't get it, that's on you. And look at what the Lord says. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. When you, when you sin against them, you brothers and sisters, in this way, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Can you see why self-seeking is antisocial? Can you see why this is a huge problem? So let me say, let me repeat something that I said at the beginning. Self-seeking is the opposite of love. Christian love is self-sacrifice, not others' sacrifice. Christian love is being willing to die to oneself instead of insisting on its own way. Christian love seeks to serve others instead of self-serving. Christian love is willing to disadvantage oneself instead of seeking its own advantage. Christian love is not selfish. It is selfless. Christian love puts others first. Christian love seeks happiness by making other people happy. Christian love is always others-oriented, not self-oriented question. Is it possible for someone to live like that? Is it possible for someone to embrace that kind of lifestyle? And the answer is yes. It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with this anymore. And it doesn't mean that one day we're going to be completely, as long as we're here, we're going to be completely free of this. That's not what it means. What it means, though, is that there's a way that it makes it possible for us to live and love like this. Point number three, the salvation for the self-seeker. So pay attention here, church. If love does not dishonor others and love is not self-seeking, then you love honors by self-denial. The best expression of love is when you are willing to deny yourself. You know what the problem is with this? That it's extremely hard to do it. Because we need to change the relationship that we have with ourselves. We need to see ourselves in a completely different way. And I'm going to give you three things. Number one, you got to learn how to see yourself as a mean and not as an end, as mentioned before. And we can learn this from Paul. Look at how he sees himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one. Notice his freedom. He belongs to no one. I have made myself a slave. Can you say slave? slave. To everyone to win as many as possible. Who is willing to say this? 
I am willing. I don't belong to anybody, and yet I'm willing to become a slave for the sake of my brothers and sisters. You know why he was willing to do that? Because he was willing to be the mean and not the end. There's a group called Rent Collective. They have this song that is amazing. It's called Real Love is Not Afraid to Bleed. Real love is not afraid to bleed. That's what Paul is saying here. Isn't that the reason why we celebrate Memorial Day? Because even if we don't practice, deep down inside, we know that real love is not afraid to bleed. Somebody shared with me this week the story of Milton Olive III, the first African-American recipient of the Medal of Honor. This was a young man, 18-year-old man, that died by sacrificing himself for his other uh, friends in, 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 in war. So they're walking into the jungle, and someone throws a grenade. And instead of running like crazy, he jumps on top of the grenade, and he kills himself to absorb the pain. Do you know why? Because we all love is not afraid to bleed. Can you see yourself as the, as the mean and not the end? Can you do that? Did you know that that only happens when you learn the second thing? When you see yourself as the end of God's means. Let me explain what that means. When you learn to see yourself as the very reason why Jesus came. Once again, 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is Paul again. He is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, do not negotiate with this. Believe this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. I think that we have a hard time saying that last sentence. I think that I, I have a hard time seeing myself as the worst of sinners. Because it's much, much easier to find another sinner that I consider to be worst. But this is the freedom that Paul had. He knew that he was not just an okay person in need of improvement, a good person that needed a little bit of help, but he saw himself as a sinner, completely damaged and destroyed by sin. This is why in Romans chapter 7 he says, What a wretched man I am! He will rescue me from this body, from this body that is subject to death. Oh, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the thing. When you recognize that you truly are a sinful person, even if you are a Christian, but when you see the magnitude of what Jesus was willing to do for you, that changes the relationship that you have with you. I am not that awesome. I am not that powerful. I'm not, I am not that amazing. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Is when that relationship changed with you, then Jesus becomes beautiful. It's when you see 
that love is not a concept. Love is a person. Jesus Christ, the one that self-sacrificed instead of sacrificing others. Jesus Christ that was willing to die to himself instead of insisting in his own way. Jesus Christ that was willing to serve others instead of self-serving. Jesus Christ that was willing to disadvantage himself instead of seeking his own advantage. Jesus Christ that lived, died, and resurrected because he was selfless instead of selfish. Jesus Christ who put you first and me first. Jesus Christ that found the joy set before him by going to the cross. Because real love is not afraid to bleed. There's a song that we're going to sing in a second as we respond to the sermon. It's a song by Hill Songs. And there's a sentence there that has been super controversial. And it says that heaven, God didn't want heaven without you. I don't know where you stand with that, but I don't struggle with that one. Because God so loved the world that he came and gave his son for us. God wanted you for him. The end of God's means was his glory and your soul. And number three, when you see yourself as a mean and not as an end, when you see yourself as the means of God's ends, then by nature you will see Christ as the end of all your means. There's no one that is more beautiful than him. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Many and most scholars would say that what Paul is saying there is that the reason why he wanted to share Everything that he was and everything that he had that come from the gospel is because he had been so impacted by it. This is what, we, what you need to remember today. Whenever you find something that is so beautiful, so powerful, so amazing, so fulfilling, whenever you find something like that, you share it. You do that by nature, people. You put it on Facebook and Instagram. You share it. If you're a believer, there's nothing that is more beautiful than Jesus and what he did for us. And that, my brothers and sisters, helps you to die to your self-seeking and you learn to love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Wonderful Savior, we, we know, Lord, deep down inside that we all struggle with this thing of self-seeking. Every single one of us here present at church or worshiping online, we all struggle with the same, with the same thing because by nature, we are being corrupted to believe that the best way to live is to live for ourselves. Lord, but today we understand that that's a lie. That the best way to live is to live for you and to live for others. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you help us see ourselves 
as the means of love, that you help us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit to see how God was doing to do anything and everything for us, and that you help us see that that's the reason why Jesus came, to live, die, and resurrect, because he wanted us with him, because real love is not afraid to bleed. Help us, Lord, do the same as we respond in adoration. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, can you please stand? Before we sing, we wanted to share a quote from a book that has been a blessing to our lives. The book is called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. And he says this, Hebrews 1.3 puts it, The sun is the radiance of God's glory. When we see that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, it becomes impossible to think that God's glory is something that is not about love. Through Jesus, the Father shows us his innermost being in the form of a servant dying to give us life. And it is as Jesus comes to us from heaven, making himself nothing, that he displays his glory. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of his Father, shining out from the Father and perfectly enlightening us to see what the Father is really like. Astonishingly, the moment when Jesus finally reaches the deepest point of his humiliation at the cross is the moment when he is glorified and most clearly seen for who he is. On the cross, we see the glorification of the glory of God, the deepest revelation of the very heart of God, and it is all about laying down his own life to give life, to bear fruit. Here is a glory no other god would want. Other gods need worship and service and sustenance, but this god needs nothing. He has life in himself, and so much so that he is brimming over his glory is inestimably good, overflowing, self-giving. Thank you, Lord. You were the word at the beginning, one with God. Your hidden glory is
What is it that you're looking for that you don't, you don't already have? What is it that you need that you don't already have? The Lord of the universe gave it all up for you. No need to be self-seekers. We can give because everything we need, we already have. Amen? Amen. Give him glory again. Lord, now we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward us and give us peace. And the church says...